Vladimir, thanks so much for reading. And I did forget one deacon, John Bates, sitting back behind the computer screens back there as well. And just I want to thank Todd for coming up here, me allowing him to put you on the spot, just about the role of deacon. And uh, I do want to say, just on behalf of the Church of Woodbine, welcome to the Church at Woodbine. I know it is a beautiful day outside. I'll try to preach real, real quick so we can get out of here, enjoy this weather, and beat the Methodists to the buffet. But anyway, it is a joy seeing you all here. I want to ask you guys, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And we're finishing up Luke this week and next week will be our last two Sundays here in the Gospel of Luke. But Luke chapter 24, starting in 13. And I was going to use one example to get started today. And then they just took off. But as we were worshiping, over here on this side, Josh plays guitar. His wife, Brittany, was over here with their little boy, Ezra, who's now learning to walk. And all throughout the three songs, Ezra kept wanting to get to his father, walking up these steps. Brittany would grab him and hold him for a second, and then put him down. He'd wander around the circle, see his dad, and then want to get back up the steps and getting to his father. And every time Ezra was walking, Brittany would walk up with him and walk right up to him, grab him, pick him up, and keep him safe. And as I watched it, as I was worshiping, I was sitting there thinking, I felt like the Lord was saying that we would pray that God would give us a deep desire in our hearts to want to be with our father. And watching little, and there you guys are right there. You you changed on me. But watching little Ezra as he struggles to walk, as he stumbles and bumbles, Not one time did I see Brittany kick him in the back seat or in the face saying, why do you keep stumbling and falling? No, she picks him up. She holds him. And Ezra's wanting to get to his daddy. In the same way as we saw last week, here in Luke chapter 24, there are two disciples. It's the day of resurrection. And we have to put ourselves in their shoes. For a couple years, we only know the name of one of these disciples. Are they two men? Is it a man and woman? Is it a couple? One of them is Cleopas. The other disciple, we don't know his name or her name. But they've been with Jesus and they walked with Jesus. They saw Jesus do mighty miracles. They heard all of his teaching. They had committed themselves to Jesus. And if you remember in Holy Week, as they come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, Five days before he's betrayed and crucified. Thousands of people, the multitudes are gathering around singing Hosanna in the highest. And in less than a week, the same crowd is crying out, crucify him. And Jesus is betrayed by his own apostles, abandoned by his own apostles. Only his mother and a couple other women stay faithful to Jesus as he walks through the horrendous trial and the flogging and the beatings and then the crucifixion. And there they are for three days. And the women go back. And most of you know this story. They go there early in the morning, that Sunday morning. That's why we worship on Sundays. It's like a mini resurrection. It's to commemorate the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And because he lives, we can face today and tomorrow and forever. And it's the hope we have because he's alive. And these women go to the tomb. Jesus isn't there. The body's gone. Angels visit them. Say he's alive. They even ask that question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they go back and tell the apostles who are scared to death. And I know this is all review, but it's important. We must know the context of this story. 
Peter and John run to the tomb. They don't find Jesus. They don't even find the angels. They don't, there's no body. And Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene that same morning. And here these two disciples are walking along the road. And as we saw last week, they're discussing. They're even arguing. I had a lot of emails this past week. I didn't know they were arguing. Why would they be arguing? Some of your translations just might say talking and discussing. The word arguing, the reason some translations say arguing, it means completely invested in the topic of conversation. Have you ever been in an argument, a debate, where you were so committed to whatever you're arguing about? I hope it was worth it. But they are utterly engaged, completely committed to this discussion, this argument, this conversation about all that was going on with Jesus and his death, his betrayal, and then these women have said he's alive. What does Jesus do? What we saw last week, he comes up with them. He starts walking with them. They do not recognize him. And there's tons of theological debate as to why they didn't see Jesus. We talked a little bit last week that when you're in grief, it's almost impossible to see clearly. We've also seen, too, that our own pride, our own arrogance, our own preconceived ideas about life, about others, can cloud our vision from seeing truth. Our own past, the lies that we believe in our, in our heart about life and others, if that gets triggered, many times we can't see truth. I use the example of a snake in the, in the path. How many of us have walked along a path, we see something kind of brown and crooked and squiggly, and we jump back thinking it's a snake. And we look down and it's just a stick. And our heartbeat is just racing 90 miles an hour. Why? It's just a stick. But we thought it was a snake. So these two disciples are in utter, they're in utter grief and confusion. They're downcast. And Jesus meets them where they're at. You see, Jesus will meet you where you are. And we saw that Jesus, he asked questions. And he listened. He wasn't consumed with trying to force the truth down their throats. But he met them where they're at and he listened. So much of the time as Christians and especially evangelicals, we want to force Jesus upon somebody when they're not ready to hear. And we feel like we got to get the whole truth and nothing but the truth out before they're ready. There's an old saying that says, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus comes up to these two disciples and he walks with them and he's got two ears and one mouth. It's not a coincidence. That's a diocidencia. And he listens and he listens and he listens. Now he's teeing them up. He's going to whack them hard. Because there is a time and place to speak truth and hard truth. Right here in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, open them back up or your smartphone, you can turn it back on. But verse 13, and very quickly, there's these two disciples and they're walking to a road called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They're discussing together and Jesus comes up with them. And here in verse 19, starting in verse 19, Jesus asked the question, what things he asked them? 
concerning the things, and he asked them, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping, they're not, they aren't are hoping, they were hoping, but we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Now that all sounds true, isn't it? What these two disciples told Jesus, it is true, but it's not complete. Look at their description of Jesus, starting back in verse 19. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, when Jesus grew up in Nazareth, that is true. And they said, who was a prophet? Now, Jesus was a prophet. They say he was powerful in action and speech. Jesus was powerful in action and in speech before God and all the people. What are they lacking? What are they lacking in this description about Jesus? Jesus was a prophet. He was powerful in action and speech. He proclaimed the gospel. He said the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. He did mighty miracles. All of that is true. He's from Nazareth. What are they lacking? He is the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. They're missing the most major point of who Jesus is. Do you see it? Do you get it? feel like all y'all are sleeping. I hope online you guys aren't sleeping. They missed the point, the whole point. They're still confused. They still don't get it. And then they say, and then he was handed over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping, hope deferred. We were hoping that he would redeem Israel. They still don't get it because they're still thinking of a national king like King David who would come in and ride in on a white horse and destroy Rome and set Israel free to be a mighty country again. They miss it. Even after three and a half years with Jesus, they still don't get it. We were hoping. Their hopes were stomped out. Yesterday, I was cleaning out the garage and found one of those huge, gnarly, nasty worms. And I prayed to Jesus that I wouldn't accidentally step on it because, man, the gook that would come out of that thing is nasty. I didn't. But their hope was utterly destroyed. And there are several things here. One, they misunderstood who Jesus was. They only saw him as a great prophet. And they misunderstood his whole point of dying. They declared he was crucified, but they missed the point. Why didn't they share that all the disciples fled and they abandoned him and they betrayed him and they denied him? There's not a whole lot of humility there on their part. They're utterly assumed in their own grief and their own self-centeredness, their own nationality. They're utterly consumed with that. And then they say in verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Now, we could read this in a matter of seconds, but I can imagine Jesus and his great goodness. What is Jesus doing? I bet he is walking and listening to them and asking questions and asking questions. He is setting them up. He is setting them up because remember I said there is a time and place to speak truth. What we need is Holy Spirit wisdom to know when to confront people. When do they have ears to hear? Because it's one thing just proclaiming truth. It's another thing when we proclaim it with someone who has ears to hear. And as Jesus walks and as he meets these two disciples where they are at, 
The question I ask myself and ask us, are we willing to walk alongside people who utterly are confused about who Jesus is? They might be living a lifestyle or a way of life that is utterly contrary, completely contrary to the gospel. Are we willing to walk with them for a week, for a year, for a decade, for three decades? What about 50 years? To walk with somebody, to listen to them and to love them, to serve them, no strings attached. Are we willing to serve and love them the way Jesus does, to meet them where they're at, and to ask the questions and to listen to them, to listen to their heart, to walk with them in their grief and their loss, their hurt and their pain, and maybe even their sin? Now, I'm not saying we agree with their sin or we agree with anything that they're doing that's contrary to God's word. But are we willing to go to the byways and the highways, to the dark places, and truly love those who do not love Jesus yet? Jesus did. And then what does he do? Look at what Jesus says. Let's stand up for these three three verses here. Verse 25. Look at what Jesus says. Now, if he were to tell you this, how would you respond? He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Now, that's with an explanation point in my translation here. How foolish you are and slow to believe all that was written the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and the scriptures. You may be seated. What does Jesus call them? He calls them fools. You're foolish and you're slow to believe. Now, in our day and age, in our culture, we are so easily offended. We all get so offended so quickly. I even have, what do you call it? What do you call it? Skin? Thin skin. So easily offended. We're so quick to get angry and be offended by the things that are said. Look at our social media. So many of us in our culture just are waiting for excuse to get angry and offended and to write people off. If this isn't offensive, I don't know what is. Jesus is calling these two disciples who he knows well, you're foolish and you're slow to believe. Is that not a confrontation or what? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter his glory? Jesus goes directly to the point. Jesus of Nazareth, who you guys say was a prophet, he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And he had to suffer these things and he had to die and enter his glory. That's talking about his resurrection. Now, they still don't recognize this is Jesus. But he's calling them out on their foolishness, their arrogance, their pride, their unbelief. He's calling them out. And there's a time and place when we need to confront others and call them out on their sin. But we don't want to be offensive. Popular culture tells us to be tolerant. Do you know what the opposite of love is? What is the opposite of love? Indifference. When we are indifferent to others, 
That means we've closed our heart off. We could care less. I submit to you that tolerance can disguise itself and it's really indifference because we are afraid to confront and humble love and gentleness and boldness. Jesus is humbly confronting these two disciples with great boldness. And then here, verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the, all the things concerning himself in Scripture. Remember, these two disciples, they don't recognize Jesus. But it says, starting with Moses and all the prophets. What It says that all throughout the New Testament, starting with Moses and all the prophets. Moses wrote the first five books of the, of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who got those out right? I could have said Leviticus. Man, that was a joke, guys. Y'all are still sleeping. Moses wrote the first five books of the, of, of, of the Bible, written hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, over a thousand years before the time of Christ. And then all the prophets, that pretty much clumps everything else of the Old Testament, talking about Jesus. Here's, here's something I want to share with you guys right now. There are over 350 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Think about it, 350 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. He has fulfilled them all. The ones he hasn't fulfilled yet are for his second coming. Think about it. The Bible, the Bible was written over a 1600 year period by at least 40 authors, three different languages, three different continents. And there's 351 prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah, in the Old Testament. And he's fulfilled them all. The very first one is Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve's sin, God shows up. And he confronts them. And he speaks truth. And then he tells the serpent. And we're not going to read these passages. But he tells the serpent, who is Satan himself. He says, this woman... She will give birth and her son, and it's talking about not her immediate son, but one of her descendants. You will bite the talon of his feet. You'll bite his heel, and he will crush your head. And here in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus sharing our flesh and blood, and he crushed Satan, and he destroyed death by his resurrection. Something that was prophesied thousands of years before Jesus lived on this earth. It was written down 1,400 years before Jesus lived on this earth, and he fulfills it. A second prophecy, the second one, it is found, and I can't see it back there, but it is found. Can you flip over to the next screen, John? Genesis chapter 12, when God appears to Abraham, and he says, through your descendants, I will bless all peoples of the earth. Abraham lived over a 1,000 years before Jesus did. How are all the nations of the earth blessed through the descendants of Abraham? Through Jesus. And it says in Acts, it affirms that in Acts, Jesus Christ died on the cross for all people. And he commands us to go to all nations, teaching them everything. Now, just with those two prophecies, that should be enough for us to believe the Old Testament to be true, the testimony to be true. 
And there's so many more, but I'll share another one about Jesus' birth. Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah prophesies that God will be, that a son will be born. He will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in Matthew chapter 1. And if you want to read a book of the New Testament that is just littered with Old Testament prophecies fulfilled, read the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew wrote his Gospel intentionally for the Jewish people. It's the most Jewish of the four Gospels. And there's Old Testament quote after Old Testament quote in the Gospel of Matthew affirming the deity of Jesus that he is Messiah. The next one is Jesus' birth. In Micah, Micah talks about, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, out of you will come one. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Think about it. Centuries before Jesus was born, God declared through through a prophet, Micah, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Think of that prophecy. And like I said, 350, how many? How many prophecies? 351. Well, there's technically there's 351. Isaiah 53, write this down or text, you know, write a note to yourself. Isaiah 53. We're not going to look at Isaiah 53, but you can cross references with all four gospels of the crucifixion of Jesus. Isaiah lived 700 years before the time of Christ. And when he describes the death and brutal crucifixion of Jesus, he describes it in Isaiah 53. And we looked at it during Holy Week. But think about it. It is as as if Isaiah sat down and watched the passion of the Christ. And then he wrote down what he saw 700 years before it actually happened. Guys, this is amazing. And this is what Jesus did going back to Luke chapter 24, when it says starting from Moses and from Moses and all the prophets, Jesus and these two disciples are walking and they're talking. And it says that Jesus calls them out on their unbelief. He calls them out on being foolish. He calls them out with truth. And then he lovingly and boldly and with humility, he begins to share with them. Don't you remember in Genesis chapter one? Don't you remember also in Genesis 3? Don't you remember also in Genesis? Don't you remember in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and the book of Judges and Deuteronomy? Guys, we could go, we could spend years looking at this stuff. But Jesus takes these two disciples and he shows them that all throughout scriptures. And the scriptures for them back then was only what we call our Old Testament. And he unpacks that the Messiah had to suffer. He had to suffer. He had to die. And he had to be received up his glory. That's his resurrection. And Jesus uses scripture to teach truth and to confront. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in 2 Timothy 2, it says that all scripture is God-breathed or it's inspired by God. And it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. All scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And guys, we have such an amazing book here of everything that's written here, all of Scripture. Now, when Paul was writing 2 Timothy, all they have is the Old Testament and parts of the New Testament being written. But Paul is telling Timothy, all Scripture, it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. Unfortunately for us as Christians in the United States here in North America in the 21st century, I think our versions would say all scripture is inspired by, by, or God breathed 
out of God and it's profitable for teaching. And we stop right there. What about the rebuking and the correcting and the training in righteousness? And it's not so that we can win Bible jeopardy. Biblical knowledge and the acquiring of biblical knowledge does not guarantee spiritual maturity. But we cannot be spiritually mature unless we know God's word. And it's useful and it is for equipping and training, rebuking and righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be well equipped for every good work. This is God's love letter for us. And as Jesus is talking to these two disciples, how do they respond? Let's stand up again in verse 32. If you're worshiping with us online, please stand up. How do these two disciples respond? It doesn't tell us what was going on inside of them as Jesus was teaching. But we'll look at this a little bit later next week. But down in verse 32, look at what verse 32 says. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning within us? As we were walking along the road, as he was explaining the scriptures to us. Think about it as they're so confused about all that went on with Jesus. And as Jesus walked with them, let's say three miles. So that's a good 20, 30 minute walk. And Jesus listens to them as they just pour out their grief and their confusion, maybe their frustration and their anger. Having felt deceived by Jesus and he's gone and he's dead and Jesus listens. And he wins them over because he meets them where they're at. And then he confronts them and he rebukes them. And then he begins to unpack all of Scripture about everything that Scripture says about Messiah. Guys, this is awesome stuff. And they don't tell Jesus at that moment there, but you guys can have a seat. But their hearts were burning inside of them. Because God was revealing their heart and he was using his word to reveal the attitudes of their heart. Scripture is like a double-edged sword. And it divides the heart and the soul, bone from marrow. It is a light and it is a lamp. It's also described as fire and as a sledgehammer. And it is true and it is perfect and it restores the soul. It renews the soul. It feeds our soul. And it's useful in every way for Scripture. There's a couple of Scripture passages I just want to hit briefly. One is Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. This is King David, one of King David's Psalms. And he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. Therefore, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. David asked the question, how can a young man... If you're a woman, you can ask, how can a young woman? If you're older than 40, you can ask, how can an old man or an old woman? How can we keep our lives pure? By living according to God's word. And so therefore we keep it. We hide it in our hearts. We meditate on it. So that we won't sin against you. There's another passage, Joshua 1.8. And this goes back to the Old Testament. But Joshua is getting ready to lead all of God's people into the promised land. And they're getting ready to go to war. Moses is dead. They've gone through the desert for 40 years. The adults now were little kids when they were rescued from Egypt from slavery. 
And the night before they go into the promised land, an angel of the Lord appears to Joshua. And he says, do not let the book of the law, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. How how much? Day and night and good. Meditate on it. And meditate, it's like chewing on it. It's like a cow chewing its its, uh, cud. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to obey everything in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I look at these verses here and I'm convicted. It makes me scared. It encourages me greatly. And then there's a passage in John chapter 15. Verses 4 through 7, where Jesus is talking about him being the vine and we're the branches. And he says, abide in me. And if you abide in me, remain might be a word we see. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. And every good good tree that bears good fruit, it's going to be pruned. In other words, we're going to go through pain and suffering in this life. It's going to hurt. But our Father, he prunes us so that we produce even more fruit. And in Jesus, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now, that's not the prosperity gospel, which is garbage. It's a lie from hell. But it's as we remain in the Lord, as we remain in Jesus, abiding in him, walking with him on the road. You know, there's this old little kid song that we learned as as children called the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, and then we all shout, Bible. I got into Christian rap back in the 90s. Yeah, you giggle and laugh. I'll put it up against any regular rap. And there's a group that called the Bible the basic instructions before leaving earth. These are the basic instructions before leaving earth. If you haven't got a clue yet, the B-I-B-L-E. This is our manual. It's a love letter that our Heavenly Father has given us to read it, to meditate on it, to study it, not so that we win Bible Jeopardy, but so that He sets our hearts aflame with the power of His Holy Spirit so that we love Jesus with everything that we are and everything that we have. You see, we read God's written word to have an encounter with the living word who is Jesus himself. Remember what I said earlier, having biblical knowledge, knowing the scriptures does not make us spiritually mature, but we cannot be spiritually mature unless we know the scriptures. And we read God's word and we meditate on his word so that we encounter the living word, which is Jesus himself. This word should be precious. We've all been given 168 hours a week. And I'm ashamed to say that when I look on this dumb thing right here, how many hours I spend on that stupid thing, 
Sorry for saying stupid. It's a cuss word in Spanish. It shames me. And when I hear myself say it and others say it, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I just don't have time. I don't have time. Baloney. This is God's love letter for us. He longs for us to dive into his word, to know his heart, to study it, to meditate on it, because it is profitable, it is good for the equipping of every man and woman of God to be well-equipped to love Jesus back and to be filled with Holy Spirit and to know how to proclaim the gospel. We talk lots about gospel conversations. But if we're not like Jesus, if we, if we don't even know where to start here and how to read it and how to interpret it, we'll be lost. Guys, this world, man, we are flying over the cliff. And we're inundated with so many lies and so much deceit. And we are getting gobbled up by this thing right here. It is destroying us. It's destroying our young people. We are being consumed with this. Next restaurant, coffee shop you go into, any place you go, store, all you'll see people just drive down the interstate. We are becoming slaves to this stuff. And God longs for us. And it's not a quick fix but he longs us to dive into his word. I have a couple questions for us all. Do you know how all the scriptures point to Jesus? Do you really know how the scriptures point to Jesus? Because they do. This book, it's a collection of 66 books, and there's one main central character, and it's Jesus himself. Do you understand how it all comes together? And can you start where a person is at in their walk, in their life, and show them in the scriptures who Jesus is? He longs to equip us through the power of his word by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I want to stand, and these are the practical steps I want to encourage all of us to do. First one is this. I want to encourage you to read one chapter a day in the Bible. One chapter. If you don't know where to start, start in one of the Gospels. Start in Luke. Start in the Gospel of John. You might already have a Bible plan on our e-bulletin today. If you text 623-623 and text e-bulletin, you'll see in one of our announcements, Bible reading plans, if you don't have one. If you already have a Bible reading plan, awesome. So I want to encourage you, if, if you just hardly read the Bible, if Sunday morning, if it's like this, let me bend it up and wrinkle the pages before I get to church to show that I'm a Christian. Don't be ashamed of your non-used Bible. Start today. It's okay. If you open your Bible and all the pages crease, I want to encourage you, use a written Bible and stay away from your digital Bibles. And the only reason is I know for me, when I read from this, I get distracted with everything else. Put that away. Read one chapter a day, and before you read, pray to Holy Spirit, be my teacher.
be my teacher. And after you read that chapter, buy a little simple notebook and write down one verse, one verse that speaks to you. And after you write that verse down in a little notebook, take the time to write one paragraph. Say one, hold your finger up, one. One paragraph. Why does that verse speak to you? So it's one chapter, one verse, and one paragraph. Dive into the basic instructions before leaving earth. Read God's written word to encounter the living word because he loves you more than you can imagine. And he's longing for you to sit with him at his feet to listen to him. And if you believe it or not, he's walking with you right now. Do you see him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible day. And Jesus, we love you. And Lord, forgive me if any of my words are not yours. And I know sometimes I've come across as angry or mad, and I'm not. I'm just probably just sad. And at the same time, very grateful and excited that you, Jesus, meet us where you're at, where we're at. And you take the time to listen to us. And you ask lots of questions. And you've given us your word so that we can encounter you, the living word, every day. And you've given us your word, the basic instructions before leaving earth. To be fully equipped, men and women, young and old, for your service, to love you with all that we have and all that we are. Lord, we thank you and we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.